In this episode, we're going to do a deep dive into the due diligence you need to do when buying a strata or community title property. There is a lot to unpack and we have a special guest expert to help us out. Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy a workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today, we're talking about the importance of knowing exactly what you're buying into when you buy an apartment, townhouse or villa. We're joined by Dr. Nicole Johnson, who is a senior lecturer and researcher at Deakin University's Faculty of Business and Law, where she specialises in property law and socio-legal strata research. She's considered an international expert in strata, and we're honoured to have her speak with us today. Welcome, Nicole. Welcome. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, my goodness. It's so impressive. I just just need to pick myself up off the floor. (laughs) Nicole, one of my favourite sayings is that we don't know what we don't know, and that's really the basis of, you know, what we're trying to help people with at the moment, and that's possibly never more true than when buying a multi-owned property. You know, what? What? I hear some of our listeners say, yeah, it's when you buy a unit or an apartment or a townhouse or a villa or anything that's not freehold, you're actually part of a group of owners. Now, it's not a bad thing and it can be a really good decision if it's right for you, but like everything in property, it comes with risks. So let's open up the backpack and unpack this whole thing together. Nicole, can you start by briefly explaining what we are doing when we buy into a property that is not on an individual title? Yes, so it's very different. I mean, you do, you are getting an individual title, but you're getting more than that. And so I think that's where the confusion can be about what you're actually buying. And so for most people, I think they're just looking for their little, you know, Part of paradise, their their, their little (laughs) home, Um, you know, the thing that as soon as you open the door and you open and you go into something that that's what what you're actually buying, your your apartment or your villa or your townhouse. But you're actually in a co-ownership structure as well. So even though you are a fee simple freehold title 
hold that title to your actual apartment. You are also in a co-ownership environment. So that means that there are rights and responsibilities that go with that purchase because you, with your other lot owners, so everyone else that owns an apartment or a villa within your development, also owns a part in that common property area. So depending on the state or territory that you actually reside in, this is where it starts to get really confusing about what common property actually means, and it's very different in every single state mm. and territory, of course. Nothing's simple in this country. <laughs> um, so you've got to know exactly what that means. What is the common property in that development? So it could be the actual external infrastructure, so everything that sort of sits out outside of your apartment. Uh, and where the boundary line is between you and your neighbouring lot is very different depending on each state and territory mm. as well. So there are lines or boundaries that are drawn around that particular building or around that particular development that lets owners know what they own and what is commonly shared in that collective ownership structure. So it does get really, really confusing. Um, and it, so there's not a sort of a simple way to say what you own, what you don't own. It really depends on where you're actually purchasing that particular property. But getting down to sort of the fundamental basics. So you're buying a part of, you know, the hallways, the lift, the building, the gardens, the pool, the gym, whatever infrastructure sits within that development, you own a little slice of that particular common property. And so that's from a sort of what you actually own. But then there's the next part of it, which is about the fact that you have responsibility being part of that collective ownership mm -hmm. through an entity called the body corporate or the owner's corporation. So it's a very, very different um, environment legally from a free standing home that we're very probably used to growing up in Australia. I'm curious if maybe you can help us here. Why do we have different legislation in different states and territories when it comes to property? Yes. So that is <laughs> the really frustrating thing for all of us that <laughs> either buy property in different states or work in different um, um, states and that sort of stuff. It's very confusing, but it just comes back to our federal system and so and the way that the constitution has been formed. So as we know that there are some things that the federal government has responsibility of, they make legislation in relation to certain matters and then everything else is reserved to the states. And so property generally, so lots of property laws, including strata or owners' corporation laws, are then reserved powers to the states and territories. So it's up to each state and territory to regulate this property type. And so what we have always hoped was that, that there would be some sort of consensus or mirroring, I suppose, of the, the legislation across the states to make it easier for everyone. But it just seems that over time, the legislation that regulates this area is getting more complex. It's getting much more dense. There's more laws and regulation that ever has been before this area. And each state's gone about it in a very different way. Fundamentally, there's some core things that are very similar. So we know that the legislation that regulates these property types is essentially like a governing sort of framework. So it tells owners and it tells the owners corporation or the body corporate what it can and can't do, how it holds meetings. It gives it sort of a guide. It's basically a guide embedded in the legislation telling people in this sort of property arrangement what they need to do and what their responsibilities and the liabilities that might arise in relation to being part of this property type. And so, unfortunately, everyone's sort of gone off on their own tangent and 
change the legislation um, in different ways. But fundamentally, there's that sort of core area that it's a guidance for owners, corporations and bodies, corporates about how to govern their scheme. And that's that's the that's what the collective ownership group needs to do. And that's what they need to understand. They're governors. That's the whole point that they're there to govern their their entity, their private governing entity, which is the owners corporation or the body corporate. Veronica so, calls it the yeah, we would level like, of government. <laughs> yeah, and would it you, really is, is it kind I mean, of like when that? you start to get down Yeah, when you get down to the nuts and bolts, it's a little bit like it's a little bit like company law and it's also a little bit like like a government structure. It's sort of like the combination of both of those things. So when you think about it, we've got the federal government, we have state and territory governments, you have local governments, then the fourth tier, as Veronica has said, is this other type of, um, um, you know, group called the owners' corporations and the bodies' corporate. And they work very much like that. They're there to govern that development or the scheme that they're in. But it's a little bit like how a normal local government works. They've got bylaws or rules that regulate behaviour and those sorts of things. But it's also a little bit like a company. So it's sort of a a bit of an amalgamation of those sort of two structures, if you like, um, is what we sort of see. So it is really complicated, I must say, and for owners um, that are new to this, it's, it's a real minefield. And it's unfortunately something that you have to step into because you are automatically a member of the body corporate when you buy into an apartment or a villa or a townhouse. You can't get out of it. There's no, you know, escape route for you. You must be part of it. How active you are in the decision-making is really up to you, but someone has to put up their hands and, and be an active member in the body corporate or the owner's corporation. So it's really up to each individual lot owner how actively they're involved in the owner's corporation or the body corporate. You can be on a committee if you want to be. I mean, someone in the development has to put up their hand to be to be that person on the committee or a group of people that have to be on the committee. But if you choose not to be so active, if you if you choose not to be heavily involved in the owner's corporation or the body corporate, you still must be aware of what's going on because there are legal obligations and there are responsibilities that flow just because you are a member of, of the owner's corporation or the body corporate. And that's the really difficult thing for people to understand and that's the area that regardless of how much you want to be involved, you must understand what's going on in that development because of the legal liability that flows to you as, an, as a lot owner. This is great stuff. So a few episodes back, we had Amanda Farmer, who's a strata lawyer. She came in and took us through the steps to inspect records before you buy us into a strata or community title um, property, right? And we were sort of approaching it as to more about the quality of the building, the way it's run, whether there's defects and those sort of things that you're looking for. But the other aspect to that is that you do have obligations when you're Mm. buying into a building. And like you just talked about the legal obligations. So, you know, one of the reasons I want to talk to you is to really look into the due diligence from that aspect to say, what else do you need to be on the lookout for when you are buying into one of these buildings? Yeah, so I think um, it's really great that you've had Amanda on and it's really important to understand what types of records are available and what rights 
purchasers have and owners have in relation to inspecting the records. And it's something that should really be undertaken when you're deciding to purchase into one of these properties, as I'm sure Amanda made um, your audience very aware and what mm. to, what they need to look at and who they can engage to read these documents, interpret them and provide good, sensible um, assistance and, and feedback to, to their clients. And so it is really, really important. I think what you've got to be aware of is there's lots of different tricky bits within um, a strata scheme and and when in terms of liability and re responsibility and liability in particular is probably the what the main thing because of the collective ownership and because you are dealing with sometimes a very large scheme that costs a lot of money to run you need to make sure that financially that that has been working really well, that correct decisions have been made and so that there's not going to be a time that will come where you will be asked to throw more money in the pot, so more additional levies, for example, a special levy may be raised, to deal with issues that may arise that there is not enough money in the account for that particular expenditure so things come up all the time you know you may get if there's a if there's a storm you may get um, storm damage and while you're waiting on perhaps insurance or insurance might might not cover a certain thing because of the type of um you know exclusions within within the policy or something like that um, it'll be up to the collective ownership to make sure that the building is maintained and repaired ba based on whatever's happened and so if there's not enough money in the account to pay for those perhaps repairs then you will have to um, and it's something again you can't just avoid um, and even if you you may vote vote no to having a special levy raised for that particular purpose if it's the collective will then you will be required to pay a certain amount to for those repairs for that maintenance um, and what have you. And it may be that, you know, things may crop up where there's not enough insurance, the insurance is not appropriate for the scheme. And if there is an issue that comes up where there's a liability issue that arises, again, you will be required to put your own money into the body corporate or the owner's corporation account for whatever damage that has occurred in that particular um, site. So you need to be aware how that um, scheme has been functioning, whether it's a dysfunctional scheme, whether proper decisions have been made and those sorts of things, because ultimately there's no protections, there's no liability protections afforded to lot owners like it may be if you're a shareholder in a company. Those protections mm. are, not, are not afforded to you in strata. And so if there's a liability that arises, unfortunately you are going to have to come up with the money, whether you have it or not, uh, to pay for whatever that um, that deficit may be. So you need to make sure that you're very aware about what's going on and how the decisions are being made so that you are not stuck at the end of the day with a large bill that you never saw coming. Um, and again, you'll be, forced, you'll be forced to pay it. So you'd really need to be actively aware of what's going on, not only when you're going to purchase, but throughout um, the ownership of that particular property. You mm. need to be invested somewhat in who's making decisions and how those decisions are being made. Strata is an expensive um, product to buy. Um, it doesn't matter that, you know, the purchase price might be relatively cheap compared to a house. There are ongoing maintenance costs ongoing insurance costs there's are so many things that you have to strata that is very very different from when you are home and so there's those sort of financial responsibilities are ongoing and you need to be very aware of that when you're deciding to purchase into 
um, strata. That's such good advice because it's su- a lot of things you need to think about. And I'm, I'm, I, it raises so many questions in my mind because I've never owned strata, purchased strata for people. I've never owned strata, so I haven't been a member of a body corporate or a owner's corporation. What, what are some of the other things that people need to think about when they're co-owning with other people? You know, like body corporate meetings and and you know. Um, how you live with other people and bylaws and those sorts of things. What are some of those other things they need to think about? Yeah, it can be really tricky and it's certainly not for everyone. If you're a really sensitive person in terms of noise, food smells, um, you know, pets, (laughs) um, (laughs) all those sorts of things, if you are super sensitive when it comes to all that sort of thing, strata may not be you or, or it may be that you need to be in a very small type of scheme um, or, or a particular type of scheme in a particular type of area, the sort of the larger schemes may really not be for you because mm. depending on how the building's been built and the age of the building, you might get a lot of refer, re, uh, noise that, that sort of is referred from somewhere else. Um, you know, you can get some echoing sometimes. You may get different smells um, from people cooking different things in a building. <laughs> um, you know, there are some schemes that are really pet friendly that are very open for people to have pets in the building. Some are very anti it and we've seen a number of cases um, and a number of issues raised in relation to pets. And so under understanding what the collective rules are so what people have come together to say this is the rules that we want for our particular scheme is really important because if you're someone who wants to have pets around and you want to have your dogs or cats there you need to find a scheme that's really amenable to that that's really open to having animals um you know and and they've got really good rules in in dealing with sort of issues that you know constantly come up um, with pets around noise and those sorts of things Um, if you're very anti that well (laughs) You know, again, stay away. Stay away. So, you know, there are some. You know, there are a lot of people don't work well with strata that are that are very sensitive, but a lot of people do. You get really used to it if you're sort of one of those people that you know um, can go with the flow a little bit. get really used to the noises and those sorts of things in strata and strata can be a great place to be you know there's some fantastic communities and you can feel Mm. sort of safe and secure in those sorts of um, apartments so there's some really great things about um uh, there's really great developments and some really great schemes out there that you want to be part of but again it comes back to your due diligence you need to know what is actually going on. You need to speak to people that are part of that development if it's an existing development to find out how it works. You know, if, if there is a good functioning committee, for example, um, you know, who's been on the committee? Do they make really good decisions? Um, mm. Is there a lot of conflict at the committee level? Is there a lot of conflict generally in terms of the scheme? Is it, you know, um, is there good, har- you know, harmony within the in, within the development? All those things are really important from just a livability perspective. Mm. that you feel at peace there that you feel safe and secure you're not you know overly disturbed there's no nuisances and those sorts of things so there's those sorts of livability factors that you have to look at and then of course you know then as as we've spoken about there's where there's the responsibility part of it that yes you will be getting levies you need to pay every quarterly a certain amount of money to the owners corporation you will be getting agm notices or or meeting notices to attend to vote in relation to particular decisions that must be made in relation to the the you know the functioning of your owners corporation or body corporate and so there is a lot more to it but it can be really good and and people shouldn't be afraid of it it just it's just like anything new when you have 
haven't been part of it before. It just takes a while to adapt. But I think the point here is you need to do some investigation before you get yourself into a particular scheme. Every scheme is different. You might yeah. have one might be fantastic, really well run, you know, really well managed um, and, and, you know, got good, you know, financial statements that can be shown. The building next door that could look exactly the same could have none of that, could be dysfunctional you know <laughs> people mightn't be getting along there might be a lot of conflict there might be litigation issues so you need to really undertake some investigation do that due diligence before you get um, part of it um, because it can be it can go either way it can be hell or it can be a really fantastic environment where you feel really safe and secure it's a classic back in in november there, what uh, a story hit the headlines around a massive conflict in a strata meeting, which was held in a basement. I don't know if that's got anything to do with it. You're nodding vehemently, Nicole. What what happened with that? It was it hit the newspapers. Massive brawl. Yeah. So, I mean, this is probably you know related to a building that's had some real real issues. So. Um, has had a lot of attention around some massive defect issues. And so I do actually feel for the people there because they've been put in a position originally not for the, from their own doing, and so they're just now trying to work out what's the best way forward. And if you are part of a building like that that has major structural defect issues or other, other massive big issues that you're trying to deal with that's impacting your family life, your financial stability, um, you know, everything about the way that you live is being impacted because of this one issue. It's not surprising to me that we're starting to see this sort of thing. Um, I think there's obviously some issues around management. I believe that there were sort of two groups um, in relation to the way forward in relation to dealing with um, some of the issues in their building. And so it's, I think there's just been a build-up of over a number of weeks of over the next last few years that sort of led um, to this, um, whether that's part of a bit of poor management, people really not understanding the complexity of the situation and that sort of thing. So I think that probably stands out as a particular type of scheme that has got a lot of problems and they've got a, a huge mess to sort out. It's not the usual, I don't think, in strata. It's really the exception to the rule. Um, <laughs> but this is what can happen, um, you know, unfortunately. And, you know, there's international cases around where, you know, there's been lots of argy-bargy and all that sort of stuff. Um, of course, it depends on the approach. Again, uh, that's a bit of a difficult one because that's just, I think, take that as a standalone case um, that that has happened. I think well, lessons most to learn, though, isn't you... there, Nicole? Like there, there are oh, some little bits definitely. and pieces about questions to ask maybe. Absolutely. And so if you're going into a building, you absolutely need to understand what's going on in terms of sort of the building defects, how, you know, who's who's in charge in terms of who's on the committee, how the committee works. All these fundamental things need to be answered. You know, who, who, what are the qualifications of the people on the, on, on the committee? Not that there's a requirement to have certain qualification, but you want to know that the people that are on those committees um, have either undertaken some sort of educational training mm. to understand what their obligations are as being part of that committee, that they're working very well collectively, that they're working in the best interests of all the owners collectively, that there's not a lot of conflict of interest or, or um, selfish decision-making being undertaken. And you can usually find that out by just doing a thorough inspection of the records. You can find out very quickly 
um, how that committee actually works. And if it's a really well-functioning committee, if they're making really sensible decisions, sometimes they have to make really hard decisions, but they're in the best interest of the people, the collective ownership. Mm. Well, that's what, you know, that's what you really want. If you start to look through, um, you know, the minutes of meetings and those sorts of things, and you're starting to see a lot of disharmony, a lot of um, conflict, a lot of argument, which you can sometimes see in minutes or, or in other correspondence, or you go and speak to people, speak to the manager, speak to people that are on the committee. If you start to get a sense that there's a there's quite a bit of conflict, that's something that you want to avoid. And so there are those sorts of lessons to be learned and we're starting to, we've seen that in sort of what's come out in the news in relation to that building that, you know, it's very fractured. Mm. Um, you know, obviously communication has broken down terribly and, um, you know, it's going to be a very difficult hill, I think, for those people to climb to, to reach any real resolution in relation to what's going on with that building. And so, yeah, it always comes back to know what's going on in those buildings before you get yourself involved. Absolutely. And and um, I think what's interesting too, and, and I interviewed you a couple of times on The Elephant in the Room, and recently we, we did an interview around the due diligence and the gatekeepers, who's blocking information. And one of the things that was very, in, so if anyone's interested in, in wanting to know more about this, then go to The Elephant in the Room and listen to that. But one of the things that I thought was really fascinating is that, you know, Megan and I talk about this all the time about the contract of sale. And we're mostly talking about houses, but we talk about in Queensland, the level of disclosure for vendors is almost me—it's almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Victoria and New South Wales, it's fairly high, but even then it's not enough. So there's all this stuff you don't know. And as we say, you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know that you don't know it, you're not going to go and find it out. You could buy houses without half the things, that you, you, without mm-hmm. knowing enough things you need to know. Weirdly enough, with strata or with community title, it's not doesn't follow the same pattern. I mean, Queensland has got higher level of disclosure than in New South Wales, for instance. So I know, and in, in Victoria, you've got a Section 32 certificate, and in that is the owner's corporation, what's that called, the owner's corporation certificate. certificate. And so I think a lot of buyers rely on when there's states where you are, there's a prescribed um, amount of documentation you're meant to be given by the owner or by the agent. A lot of buyers just rely on that thinking that's enough, but it isn't necessarily. So do you want to sort of touch on what else buyers need to be looking at? Yeah, and so this is, again, a difficulty, especially when you're moving from state to state and you're buying um, into strata no matter where you are because it is very, very different. Queensland um, goes almost over the top in relation to disclosure, but only for off-the-plan sales. Yes. So when you're buying something that's not existing, so if you're buying off-the-plan something new is coming out of the ground, the disclosure regime is very, very comprehensive to the point where we think that probably not a, not a lot of people are, are, are reading it. Um, <laughs> but it is useful because if you've got a really good property lawyer or if you've got a really good conveyance uh, that knows really what to look out for, that know the warning signs in relation to the disclosed information, um, then that's a good thing. Um, In terms of existing property, it's completely different. You get very little information in the contract of sale in terms of what's going on um, with that. And so it really does force someone to actually go and do an inspection of the records to find out the nitty gritty and what's actually going on um, with the building. Disclosure um, does serve a purpose um, no matter how much 
there actually is. But what you really want to do is you want to verify that the information that's been provided in those contracts or those disclosure statements are up to date and accurate. And the only way that you can do that is doing an inspection of the records. And we have seen um, in research that we've done that sometimes that information is disclosed, whether it's in Victoria with an owner's corporation certificate that's attached to a, a 32 statement, or in any other or any other jurisdiction, um, if sometimes it might be information that's provided at a particular point of time, and that information has changed. Um, so when you're given that statement, um, for example, in Victoria, between then and actually purchasing, things may have changed, and so you need to go and verify the information that's correct. You may be provided some information that you know, this is how much money's in the sinking fund and that, you know, you're under the maybe perhaps mistaken belief that there are no big maintenance or repair issues pending. And then by the time you get to actually sign the contract, there might have been a period of time that has lapsed and things may have changed. All the money might have pretty much gone from the sinking fund or the capital works mm -hmm. fund because they've had to, you know, pay for a new roof or, you know, a number of a meeting could have been held if special levies or or the or the annual levies may have ra been raised quite significantly that then would impact upon your decision to purchase. And so you've just got to be really careful in that period of time and what disclosure actually means because there may be some inaccuracies. And so it's back on you as the purchaser to make sure that you go and investigate to see whether that information is ac actually accurate, what has changed in that intervening period, and whether that information can be verified um, by looking at the at, at the records. So a little bit of care needs to be taken in relation to that. Can we rely on our lawyer or conveyancer to check those records? It depends on the state <laughs> sometimes <laughs> that you're in. So Queensland and New South Wales have for quite a long time, most good conveyances and property lawyers would advise their clients to get an independent search agent to go in and do an inspection of the records. These are people or companies that do these sorts of inspections quite regularly. Um, and then you can choose if you want to go back, you know, two years into the records or you might want to go back six years and have much more of a comprehensive review of the records to see what's been going at on over time. And so that's been quite a uh, customary practice in New South Wales and Queensland um, for a number of years. And then it's really on the purchaser to make that decision. So in Victoria, it's a very different situation. So in Victoria, they've never really had many companies up until very, very re recently that you can go and get an inspection undertaken from that sort of mm. independent party who knows what to look look for in the records and provide that report back to their conveyancer or lawyer on, on, on the purchaser's behalf. And so it's been quite different. There's been a much more heavy reliance in Victoria on those owners' corporation certificates. Um, and, of course, if you're buying off the plan in Victoria, the information that's provided to you is negligible. There's, there's hardly any information that's actually provided to you about what you're getting yourself into. And so the due diligence around what happens in Victoria in relation to off the plan is very different. You're going to have to go or get your lawyer to do different types of investigations to find mm -hmm. out who the developer is, who the builder is, you know, maybe what their past reputation in relation to the creation of these types of schemes um, maybe there's a there's a lot of information that's really missing in relation to Victoria, um, and that certainly needs to be improved. And so it, again, it depends on the state. So in terms of your lawyer, what you need to look for is 
either a lawyer or a conveyancer who really does understand what goes on in strata schemes, what are the issues that might arise that you can find by looking at the records and that you can extract. So what I've found in the past is there are a lot of conveyances that will um, just take the information from the contract or the disclosure statement that's been provided and just really rehash it to the client. This is this is what it's saying. Um, they're not really doing that sort of further deep dive into the records to see really where the pitfalls are or what are areas of potential concern um, that may need further investigation or that someone might or that awareness might need to be brought to the purchaser's mind when they're making those sorts of decisions. And so you really do need to find and you need to spend some time finding a property lawyer or a conveyancer who really, really understands strata very, very well understands what can can occur in relation to strata and it may be in a uh, a firm that may have a litigation specialist that deals with strata who has a much better understanding about what's going on because they're seeing the pitfalls and what what can actually arise in relation to litigation all the time and so what people might need to look at from the front end so I would say before you even think about purchasing a property of this type, you really need to go and find a lawyer or, or a conveyancer that knows this stuff really well um, and they're the people that you need to to be engaging with. This is not an area where you find the cut price conveyance that charges you I was just thinking exactly the same thing. You took it out of my mouth. Yeah, they're, they're, not where you cut yeah, costs, right? Not where you cut costs because the danger is too great, right? Yeah. The, the risk is too great for most people unless you've got heaps of money in the bank and you don't care what happens, <laughs> which is not, you know, the majority of people, um, then you need to be very careful up front and you need to make sure that you invest in a really good lawyer who is going to look at that. So many conveyances are very just transactional um, based. Mm. It's about transferring the property yep. from the seller's name to the to the new buyer. You know, they're going through the process and that's why it's so cheap. They're not giving you actual advice about what's going on internally within your scheme. They're not telling you where the boundaries are and what you actually do own, what you don't own, and what your co where your co-ownership um, actually sits. They aren't looking at the lot entitlements and liabilities to see whether they're fair. They're not looking to see whether your levies are probably going to go up. They're not looking at the defects. They're not looking at the maintenance issues and what potential outcomes there might be for you. So you need to find someone that really understands that stuff really well. That's where your investment has to go as well as, you know, what you're actually buying. You can't skim. Um, well, I think it's a big risk to skim it's at a that massive stage. Risk. Um, mm. And so, yeah, so my advice would be, you know, before when you're starting to think about purchasing strata, spend some time finding someone who's really good in the area that can, can mm. really not only do the transaction but actually give you proper advice about what you're purchasing. A hundred percent. And, Gold. you know, and, and a lot of due diligence is looked upon by buyers just being tick boxes. And I think the choice of a conveyancer or, or a lawyer sometimes fulfills that sort of ticking boxing type uh, approach. But we talk about in your first home buyer guide course, the very first step is getting the right people on your team. And, and absolutely, we are at, at you know, 100% on board with getting an experienced conveyance and not a cut price one uh, or a property specialist. And in different states, they're called different things in New South Wales, accredited property specialist. But somebody, and, and then beyond that, they could do a lot of houses, but if they don't do a lot of strata, then mm. they're, they're going to be out of depth. 
What sort of legislation, though, is in place? Is there any legislation in place to protect, you know, uh, property buyers in this scenario? Well, uh, you know, there's always protect some some protections that are that are afforded to you in terms of the information that is provided to you. So if there's inaccuracies in relation to the information that's being disclosed and the, those sort of things, there's protections. But there's not protections when it comes to probably a bit of stupidity or not, um, you know, taking those extra steps. So. You know, if the information that is disclosed to you in accordance with the legislation is accurate, um, well, and then you and, and then you find out something later um, because you haven't actually inspected the records. Well, unfortunately, that's going to be on you unless it's you know quite a material issue. Um, so you know, it, it is. It does come back to the purchaser to actually undertake their own due diligence to find out what exactly that they're purchasing. They need to protect themselves, and they they need to do that by those sorts of mechanisms that we talked about: getting a really good lawyer, investing investing some money into getting the, the proper person to assist you, asking the right questions you know um getting someone to make sure that they're doing a thorough inspection of the record so that you really know what's going on verifying the information that's been disclosed already in 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 the in the information um provided to you in your contracts and those sorts of things you know you have to and and, and go to the scheme have a walk around talk Mm. to the people get a feel about what's going on in the development you know all those things are really critical um you know and things that you really need to do as part of you know your due diligence Spot on. So many pieces of gold in that. Honestly, I, I've never bought in Strata or Community Title as it is in Queensland, but I know, Veronica, you have. I'm going to ask you a question in a moment. But, Nicole, we always ask our guests, what is the one thing you know now that you wish you'd known as a first-time buyer? I think the thing reflecting, and there are quite a few things <laughs> now that I've been researching in this area for a long time, and I think, in fact, and my first little property that I bought was off the plan in Queensland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I would have investigated more thoroughly the developer and the builder, who okay. it was oh. that was that is creating the vision, what their past experience was. You know, go to, their, go to the sites that they've worked on before if it's residential construction, have a walk around, speak to people. Because oftentimes I've found is if they stuff up, you know, the last development or the development before that, you know, past behaviour <laughs> dictates future behaviour, right? Mm. It's more, more likely that, you know, that lessons may not have been learned. And so I would always, that, that's what I think I, I reflect on the most that I, I mean, there's some things that people do that you can never see coming, no matter mm. how much <laughs> due diligence you do. But I think, you know, going back and speaking to people in other developments of those same developers and those same builders to find out their experiences, have they had issues with defects, you know, um, walk around, talk to the people, get a sense of how, you know, they're feeling about the development, how the transition period Mm. was from when the developer was involved to when they they left Mm. the scheme. For a new scheme, you know, sometimes can be a really long period of time and any flow-on effects um, in relation to the decisions that were made by the developer on behalf of of the body corporate or the owners corporation just to get a sense of what's going on and i think you really people are usually quite happy to chat especially when things have gone really wrong in their development and they've got regret and so when people walk around to say how 
you know, do you like it here? Have you got any issues? And they go, oh, my God, so many issues. <laughs> red flag, people, red flag. <laughs> Find another apartment. <laughs> That's it. There's always another one. I, I, I'm going to add to that that when you're, I mean, when, when it's a new building or a off the plan, then it's obvious who the developer is. It's obvious who the builder is, right? That's sort of everywhere. But when it's only a few years old, it's not so obvious. And if you can't get that information is just as important on a building that's sort of probably even 20 years old, given given some uh, mm. what's happened to some buildings. If you can't get that information, then it, give it a wide berth, I'd, I'd say, yeah. because often you can't get it after the building's a few years old. Yeah, I think when there's holes, so when there's gaps in information, when you're asking questions and you're not getting any answers or you're, or there's an inability to find out what's going on, the risk, I think, escalates. And so you do have to be so much more careful. And I think sometimes, though, with existing buildings, it doesn't probably matter how old they are, if they're, as long as they're a few years into their life, you get a sense of the quality of construction fairly early on. And if you're in, you know, because water, as we know, water ingress, water-related um, defects is probably the number one defect e issue in all new builds mm. in this country and mm. has been for a number of years. And so water manifests or water ingress or water-related defects manifest really quickly in a building because as soon as you have your first rain event, you know where the wa water is leaking and how problematic um, those particular defects are. And so, again, you talk to the people, had any leaks? That's what I'd be asking in a new development yes. or, you know, relatively yeah. new development, anything that's sort of less than 10 years old. I'd be walking around saying, oh, have you had any, any leaks here, any issues with water coming in? And if there is, again, mm, be I'll careful. tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They will tell you. They will tell you, yeah. 100%. Oh, look, personally, I've mentioned I've never owned, I've only ever owned freehold properties, but Veronica, you've been knee deep in the industry for over 20 years and you've learned a lot. Your first home was a strata property. Um, for those who tune in regularly, you'll know it's a tough ask, but in one minute, one, <laughs> what is the one thing you've learned since you purchased your first strata title apartment in, was it 1996, I think it was, Six? and it, it was also off the plan, um, although it was built, so it was off the plan technically. But One minute. Um, one minute. <laughs> I guess the one thing Honestly. I would say is that history, because I got on, I own two strata properties, uh, yeah, two, and I've been on the committee both times. So I, the one thing I would say is if you ever, I think it's worthwhile getting on the committee just to understand the building and mm. and how it runs. And even though I'm not, I've only owned one of those properties now, but um, I'm no longer on the committee, but I do get how it runs and I do understand the building in a lot more because you are buying into more than just your apartment. So I would say it's a bit of an obligation it's a bit of a pain in the ass at times, but it's certainly worthwhile doing. Right. Well, Nicole, I really appreciate you coming on. We both really appreciate it. And when so I say sure. I, it's because I've chewed her or she's, I've, I've asked her to come and tell us all this stuff, um, <laughs> both on the elephant. Right. And, I've and, learned a lot. Yeah. Good. <laughs> It's been fantastic and I uh, really appreciate you stepping that out. She's a wealth of knowledge um, and very generous given that you spend all your time researching to actually come and share some of those findings with us. So really appreciate your time. Very Pleasure. Thanks, Thanks very Nicole. much for having me. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.